Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Shem will learn Daf Kufyutes in Masechus Bavakama, and that has special significance in Masechus Bavakama. But let's hope we get to find that out today. Uh, we're going to learn Le'ilu Nishmas of Chaim Zemelinowitz. Uh, the whole town is learning Le'ilu Nishmas, um, Elio Michael Harush, his wife is staying with us. Um, as well, this Masechus Bavakama, a lot of Torah learning. May it all be in the schus of all of our soldiers of Klai Shelfi Shuas. And also the Nishmas, the aforementioned people uh have deal. So the Mishnah on Kufir Khasim and Bates. In Lokin Manaron Semer Bachal Gdim. You can't purchase wool, milk, or gdim, right? Uh Gdi is like a uh an animal, a kid, from hired shepherds. Why not? Well, because it looks weird. What what do I mean? Well, you have this shepherd, what's his job? He is a animal sitter, right? He's bring, people are bringing him animals from all over the town, and now somehow he's selling you animal products, right? That come easily from the animal. The milk is right, or even the children that they come out that, that these animals have, or the wool. It's hard to trace, and it's very, very likely, very likely to be coming from the animals that he's not doesn't own, but animals that he's watching over. Well, that's what you're, what you're doing is very, very likely purchasing stolen goods. That you cannot do. Okay, now. So again, these are shomrei peros. People are being hired to watch over an orchard and somehow weirdly they're selling fruit. So what, they're selling stolen fruit. You can't buy obviously stolen stuff. That's an isser. Okay, so uh, we're finishing off Masechus Bavakama, and we're learning, we're going to see the whole rest of the, of the Masechus is just like the sensitivity of these very, very fine areas, right? You're not stealing, right? But you don't, we don't want to encourage stealing at all, right? And so, and so we do not do that. But if you're in Judea, you can buy woolen garments from married women, Okay. So we're going to see why the Gemara is going to discuss uchlei pishtan bagalil and why linen garments in the galil the agalim b'sharon calves in the sharon. We will see uh, what the reasoning is, but you already know what the reasoning is. In other words, if it's likely that it's stolen, then if it's very likely it's stolen, you can't buy it. If there's a ra- rationale why in this particular region and this particular whatever uh, culture. Um, this is probably not stolen, so then you can buy it. That's all that it is, right? The svara is going to be the same everywhere, okay? Over here. And for that reason, if even if it's in one of these scenarios where you think that it's likely that it's not stolen, but when they sell it to you, they tell you lahatmin. When they sell it to you, they say, you know what, on your way out, maybe put this in a, in a paper bag and don't show anybody. So that's usually a tell, Barry. Usser. And therefore, you should not, it's, it's usser to purchase this. Right, um, and so again, this is this is a big this is a big chiddush that you can't purchase stolen things. You're also, by the way, I should say, since we are starting to become a little bit of lamdanim, part of the issue is that you become the thief. I just want to to express that, and I'll explain to you why. This is this is important, Andrew. It's not because you're encouraging theft. A watchman, okay is watching, let's say Andrew has an orchard and somebody's being hired to watch his orchard. The watchman isn't Kona it, right? He's selling you Andrew's stuff. So when you acquire Andrew's things, you are in effect unwittingly stealing from Andrew. So if you don't know, you don't know. But if you have reason to to assume that it's stolen, then it really hasn't been, we'll see, it hasn't been acquired by the thief. If the thief stole it and then and and made a Kenyan on it, because we're talking about Kenyan and Gazela, and the thief actually owned it, so then maybe it wouldn't be a problem to buy it. Uh, we'll see. It depends on the case. But one of the things that you have to be aware of is this is not just encouraging thieves. This might halakhically make the person who purchases a stolen item a thief. Just wanted to, to bring that up. Okay, halakhically. Okay. Anyway. You could buy chickens and eggs from anywhere. Very good. We're going to discuss all these cases. So the Bryce says 
that you can't buy from shepherds, goats, kids, fleece, wool, anything that's torn off the sheep, you cannot buy. And here's where we go. You can buy, says the Brisa, garments that are sewn together. Why? Unbelievable. So this is where Rashi makes the point. Tfurim, says Rashi, that even if it is stolen, if so let's say the wool gets stolen, and then the ganav, right, the watcher, the shepherd, makes a weave out of it. Now the ganav is koneh b'shinui. Oh, wait a minute. So now that he made a shinui, which is to say he weaved it together, so now it's no longer just wool. Now it's, right, sewn together garment. Okay, so now it belongs to the ganav. So then, now that it belongs to the ganav, you could buy it from the ganav because that's not stealing. See, see that? That's what the Bryce says. You could buy milk and cheese from the shepherd in the desert, but not in the settled area. Rashi explains the reasoning. Do you want to hear the reasoning, Andrew? It's, it's, it's clear to me. You live in Yerushalayim, right? You're in your fancy apartment in Yerushalayim. And you have your sheep being shepherded like somewhere out in the desert, like a, a four days journey away. So what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to get the milk. The milk has to be fresh every day. You're not going to wait to get the milk from these sheep when you, they get home. And you're not going to go a four-day journey to the desert to get the milk. It doesn't make any sense. So it is for that reason that it's assumed that if your uh, sheep are out in the, or whatever, your um, cattle is out in the desert, you are moichel. As the owner of the sheep, you are moichel on all the stuff that's happening during the day. All the milk and all the stuff, it's just part of the contract. It's understood that you're not going to be expecting that milk. Uh, whereas in contrast, if they're in and around the city, where they're always being shepherded. So then part of the value of said flock is that you get to have the milk, right? You're a rancher and you get to have the milk. So it's understood if they're way out, you're not getting the milk. If they're, you're mochel on it. And if they're close to home, then you're not mochel on it. It's as simple as that. So your mechila in that case makes a difference, right? In the, since you're mochel on it out in the desert, so then the shepherd has the right, right, to take this stuff that you're mochel on it and make a living out of it by selling to other travelers in the desert. Right, as opposed to in the city, that belongs to you, and you're not um, relinquishing it. Okay. The Gemara is going to kick around this brisa like you wouldn't believe. You could take, you can buy if you're in the desert, or you could buy four or five sheep at once. Right? It's like we're in a remote area. You have this guy; he's shepherding someone else's flock, and he's selling you four or five sheep at once. So why four or five sheep? Because four or five, or four or five fleeces at once. But not two tzon or two gizin. So four and five that you could buy, but not two. What's the difference? So Rashi here explains. Uh, fourth line from the bottom. Right? That when you have one or two lemelas that got lost, you say, hey, uh, a wolf came. And it was, uh, it didn't go good, so I'm sorry, we lost one. And it's plausible deniability. The shepherd can do that. Well, because the shepherd can sell that narrative to the owner of the, of the flock, that is called skimming off the top, right? He has a giant flock. One or two got lost. That's like the cost of doing business. So he, because he could sell that story to the owner of the, of the flock, he's going to tell that story to the owner of the flock and allow himself to sell this stolen sheep. But if four or five of them are lost, now it's a harder story to sell. Now it's clear, it's a little clearer that it probably was not a, uh, a wolf because really five sheep in a, uh, can, can overtake a wolf, so to speak, right? Like five sheep don't get eaten by a wolf. Usually he eats one or two and he's satisfied and he goes away, right? Or by then you could chew him away, that kind of thing. A mishap doesn't happen to four or five of them. So that's basically what's going on, that if he can't sell the story, then it must be legit. It must actually be either his or he's being given authority to sell it. Four or five is not the kind of thing that you can get away with, right? Because when a person skims off the top in non-kosher money, Andrew, skimming off the top usually can only be accomplished with like nobody notices, right? But if you're... Not paying income tax on 90% of your 
of your earnings and somebody's going to notice, right? They're going to say, why are you living in this house if you're only making $10,000 a year? That kind of thing. So it's all about the plausible deniability. Be that as may, Rabbi Omer, by Sosus Lokrim Lehem, Midbarius Ein Lokrim Lehem. A domestic sheep you could buy from these people, but Midbarius you can't. And for the same reason, that when they are domestic, they have, you know, name tags and collars and he knows their name, right? This one's Bessie and this one's Marla, right? He knows the name of the animals. Those are like almost the pet sheep for him. But if it's free-range sheep, then he doesn't really keep track of them that way. And again, it has to do with will you be able, will this owner, worker, be able to get it all past the owner? And the Bryce sums it up. Here's the general rule. If, if the if the shepherd selling it will raise alarms with the balabais, then you could sell it for him because uh, you could buy it from him because after all, they can't sell that story to to the balabais, and therefore they would only sell it to you if it was legit. Ain margishbo, but if it's something that you're skimming off the top and nobody would be none the wiser, well, that's a big nisayon. That's something that's hard too, right? Uh, you can't expect the shepherd to be able to withstand the desire to make a little extra money on the side uh, when the owner would never know the difference and therefore and therefore you cannot buy from them. And again, in doing so, you are probably stealing it from the actual owner, right? Because again, the shepherd never really acquired it. So you just are now stealing from the owner and therefore you cannot do that. Good. Isn't that a difficult thing for the prospective buyer to determine? So Barry wants to know, is this an easy thing to determine? Um, whether the Balabais would know the difference or not. So uh, it is not always easy to, to, to determine. I don't know what you'd have to do, and you're asking, like embedded in your question is a, is a very important question of what would you do in a case of Suffolk, right, if you don't know, right? When you say, like, how do I know what's stolen? The answer is that in the case of Suffolk, it would seem to me from the a continuation of the Gemara, you do not have an obligation to know for sure, right? It's really only in egregious cases, that you're not going to be selling. In other words, uh, we'll see cases where you know the guy's a thief, right? And you know that most of his money comes from thievery. Are you allowed to buy from such a guy, right? Because it's likely that, he, that it's all stolen stuff. And we'll see that in many cases you are allowed to do so, which is to say it's only when you more or less have reason to assume that it is stolen that you can assume that it's stolen. In the case of you don't, you don't have any reason to assume one way or the other, and you really just don't know, you're allowed to just do regular commerce in a case like that. So you're right, if it's difficult to determine, don't worry about it. It's only, but we are outlining two things. Number one, that if you know almost with certainty that it is stolen, you cannot purchase it. We'll put it that way, okay? And then we're just setting parameters of what would be the kind of scenarios where we think that there'd be reason to believe for sure that it is stolen. It's fine, so Amar Mar. Good question. So Amar Mar, Lokhanim Hen Abra Chamesh Son Abra Chamesh Gizin. So we taught it four or five. And then we said, Hashta Yesh Lomar Abba Zavinan, Chamesh Mibai. So the first question is, why are we saying four and five? We're used to Dalad Vahey, that's true. But when you think about it in this context, Dalad Vahey is a different thing. When you pay back Dalad Vahey, where Tavachumachar, that's Dalad if it's a certain kind of animal, and hey, if it's a different, different kind of animal. Here, we're saying that four, if a guy sells you four, then you could assume it's stolen. So why do we have to learn it by five? It's by the same kind of animal. So chamisha mibay, we have to learn that five is also some of chista, arba mito chamisha. If chista explains it differently, this may be a little bit towards Barry's idea, that if a guy is selling you 80%, four out of five, then you know if, that if he's selling you 80% of his flock, then he's, not, he's gonna have to answer for that 80% of the flock to the, to the uh, owner. So it must be legit, right? In other words, that, there's no way he's gonna be able to explain how all the flock got lost, and so nobody would have the chutzpah to sell that unless it was legit. Some say the four and the five explain the ratio, that if it's a smaller thing, then it's four, if it's a larger flock, then it's five, and maybe that's what the reason is, okay? Now the Gemara wants to ask like this. You may have noticed that the Bryce has said four or five you could buy, but two you can't. So what would you say about three? All right, let's get into this. So when it says four or five, sounds like three you cannot buy. However, but the latter part of the Bryce says that you can't buy two, so it sounds like three you can. 
So if you want to be medayik from the Reisha, it sounds like you can't buy three. If you want to be medayik from the Seifa, it sounds like you can buy three. Lokash. So what is it? What would be the case of three? It says the Gemara Lokash. Ha bebraisa, ha bebriyasa, ha bekhishasa. Right, it has to do, are these, right, frail or are these healthy? If it's really frail ones, then eh, he's not really paying attention. That's the last Rashi's on Kofi Chesim and Beis. Rashi's saying, Brios ain balabais, tamida lehem, ragish v'shalosh. The balabais knows which is really healthy, good ones are. Right? Those are the ones he's keeping an eye on. So, therefore, those are less likely to be sold. For those, you're not going to be able to get away with selling three of those. But the weak ones that he's not really paying attention to, if something happened to them, he wouldn't be surprised. So then you can get away with selling three of those. So everything is relative. Everything is case-specific. But to Barry's point, we're not expecting you to be like Sherlock Holmes and figure out the, the backstory of every single case. We're just giving you parameters here. Okay. Now, continuing to analyze the price. Rabbi Hudo Imer, this follows. This was right. We're eight lines up from the bottom, two dots. This idea of you can take the domesticated but not the free-range ones. Right? Is he addressing, when he says this distinction between domesticated and right the uh, free-range, is he being lenient or is he being Right, Machmir, uh, we'll see. What does it mean? As follows. The Gemara is explaining this. When it says that you can buy, right, uh, four or five, is he saying it to say that when you could buy four or five, you can only buy four or five domesticated ones? But the, if it were free range, you wouldn't be able to, to, to buy it because those free range are not being traced. And therefore, even four or five, you wouldn't be able to. Buy and that's a chumrah. Or maybe it's referring to the part of the brisa that's saying that you cannot buy two. So maybe there he's saying right. Then when it says that you cannot buy the two, it's referring only that you can't buy two when they are free range. But if in fact you have, were dealing with domesticated animals and you know, like we said, they have the name tags and everything, so you can't buy Bessie and Marla from from the shepherd, the owner will, re- so even two, in domesticated case, you would not be able to buy. So when he's making this distinction between domesticated and free range, is he trying to modify the ratio to say that those, and, and be machmer, and say those the domesticated ones, you can't even buy five of them? Or is he trying to modify the seifa and be mekel and say that when it comes to free range, right, you can, uh, that, that when it comes to, right, two, you can buy, uh, that's only when, when, when it's referring to Midbarios, right? But if, if they were domesticated, you'd be able to buy even two, right? So, Gemara says, Tashma, we can resolve this, the tiny, because you have a price of Yehuda. Omer, lochen baisos mehen ve'en lochen mehen Midbarios. we're going to have it all spelled out. Rebuda made the distinction that we just mentioned between domesticated and free range. And in all places, you could buy four or five. So that answers our questions. We arrive from the fact that we have said that no matter what the case is, you can always buy four or five, right? Because that the owner will notice. Sounds like it's talking about the seifa, and it's indeed lakula. He's addressing the fact that when it says that you can that you can't buy only two sheep, he's actually being right lenient in that case. And he's saying that that implies only the free range. But when it comes to domestic, you could buy even just two. Okay, shmami no. So we've resolved that. Now we're at the two dots of Lomishomri Paris. What's going on with these orchard watchers? So, Rava Zavin Shabish Arisa. Rava went to the grapevine and he bought some branches from the sharecropper. Now, Andrew, the sharecropper has an interesting relationship with the owner of the orchard. He's, as we will see, right? But basically, he's working it, right? But the question is, Amar Le'abayis. Abayis says, says, Chavrus of Rava, but it's none. Lo mishome peros, eitzim peros. Wait a minute. We just learned in, in our Mishnah that you can't buy fruits in orchards from the guy who's the worker at the fruit or in the orchard. It's weird. So Amar Le'abayis, Rava said to him, Hani mi lo mishome deleis lebegufa daaradimidi. Yeah, it depends on the relationship. That's talking about a watchman, a shomer, who has no share in the land itself at all. Of al aris, this guy is a sharecropper. He's not a shomer. What's the difference? To isle begave, 
He has a share in land. In other words, that's what a sharecropper is, Andrew. A sharecropper works, and part of his payment <laughs> is, uh, you know, like when sometimes you get a salary and sometimes you get equity, right? So part of his payment is he's getting fruit and, and, and services back as part of his payment. So, of course, again, so Barry is going to say, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is the fruit that he's, that's part of his salary or not. So how am I allowed to buy it? So that's what I'm explaining to you, Barry. Rava is going to buy it because... If there's any plausible deniability, right, if there's any plausible scenario where it makes sense that it's not stolen, that you're not stealing from anybody, then you're not chayev in every single – then it would just stop commerce to, to be of you to, to investigate every single situation. It's not like, uh, you know, kashris or other areas. It's, an, it's just – uh, all things being equal, you can assume that people are being honest, right? If you have really egregious reason to think that dishonesty, then stay away, okay? So, so again, in this particular case, Rava was buying it. The guy's not working his own land, but because of his arrangement with his owner, there is a scenario where it is his stuff. So you don't have to start interrogating him, right? So that's why. Because he gets some of the crop as his payment, you could assume that he's selling from that. You see? Okay. So now seven lines down. More, more fruit purchasing. So you could buy, wow. So now the price is saying you could buy from Shomrim. This is not an Aris. These are guys are watching the pairs. So we're seeing even more cases, right? So Barry, you're gonna, this is all starting to take shape, right? Let's say you have Shomrim Peros. So now they don't get equity in the fruit, but obviously they have some sort of arrangement with the Balabai. Why? Because they're selling out in the open. They have a kiosk. Fruit baskets are there and the scales are there. So they've made, obviously they're making a business out of it. The owner must know that this is going on, right? They have a little fruit stand next to the fruit orchard. Nobody is, uh, that's not going to be a quiet thing, right? This is not a back alley thing, Andrew. This is obviously out in the open. So obviously that's part of the arrangement that they're allowed to do that. However, but if on the way out they say, you know what, maybe, maybe put that under your trench coat, Andrew, on your way out. So then also, then it's obvious. See that, that it's stolen and you can't do that. And similarly, if they're doing this business at the entrance of the garden, then you can buy from them. Those back alley uh, stores are always a red flag, enough of a red flag that you shouldn't buy from it. Okay, now. Back to, uh, so now we're on the topic that we mentioned before, the known robber, Itmar. You have a robber, a guy, we know that he's a thief. Can you buy anything for anything from him? Right? So Rav Amar, Rov which is a fascinating idea. Rashi says that it, you can, as long as the majority of possession are his, so then even if, like, he has the side hustle where he's a thief for 30% extra to pad his income, you could still buy from him because you could assume that this is coming from his rove of his income, which is not stolen. Shmuel says amazingly, Amar, Afilu Miuchelo. Again, as long as there's plausible uh, chance, as long as there's any chance that it, he's giving you nothing stolen, even if most of his stuff comes from the, uh, theft, you could still buy from him. In fact, Orele Rabihuda La Ada Dayala, the Yehuda said of this guy Ada, a Dayal is a steward. So this guy, Adadayala, was the attendant of the Rabbanim, right? He's the guy that's taking you to all the Rabbanim for brachas and saying, yeah, yeah, give, give, uh, give $3,000 to his yeshiva and give it to me. I'll give it to him to give to the yeshiva and uh, he'll give you brachas. How much of the $3,000 is, the, uh, is, the, is this gadol getting? I don't know. So, so Rabbi Yehuda would say about him, Can you buy from this person anything? Like if he's also selling shoes on the side. He, so he said, yeah, that this is a case where most of his money is money that's really stolen. People are giving it to, to yeshivas and rabbis and he's just taking it. But some of the money he earns and therefore you could buy from him. So it's an amazing psaac. Fine. 13 lines down. Mamon Musser. Okay, so you have an informer. This is a terrible thing. We do not like informers. Andrew, stitches get, uh, snitches. They protect, they tell people who killed Zubar. 13 lines down. Snitches get stitches, okay? We do not allow these people to uh, uh, tell on one another and to give other people up to get killed or incarcerated. That's not how we roll. Oh. So, Maman Musser, Ravuna Ravuda, Chadar. So, 
there's a halacha, we're going to see this. You're supposed to destroy these people. So Rav Huna Rav Huda, Chad Amar Motu L'Abdu Biyad, Chad Amar Asu L'Abdu Biyad. Are you allowed to physically, proactively destroy their stuff? It's a, it's an unbelievable thing. Samad Amar Motu L'Abdu Biyad, he who said that you could destroy it, Lo Yem Amonu Chamer Megufo. What's the reason? Because you're allowed to kill him, as we'll see. So, well, if you're allowed to kill him, then certainly you're allowed to destroy his property, because after all, his money shouldn't be more important than his physical body, right? Anybody you're allowed to kill, you should be able to take their money. So why would you not be allowed to take his stuff? Yeah, well, once he's dead, he's the degenerate lowlife, but his children may turn out to be tzaddikim. So you could take, you could kill him, but you can't take his money because it'll leave the money over to the kids. Right? That's what Eov says. That the wicked one prepares it, but the tzaddik ends up benefiting. So it could be like a wicked, you know, father making a lot of bad earned money, but the kids are tzaddikim, so they're going to be learning in Kylo for years. That's not too bad. Okay. So a story. This sharecropper, I, uh, I kind of love this story. He would weigh produce and give Rav Chista his share and then weigh the produce and take for himself. What does Rashi here say? Taka Veshakel gives two pshatim. Let's stick with the first one. The Marsha says this, is, uh, doesn't, this doesn't make any sense, but I actually love this pshat. Taka Veshakel says, Rashi, It's first Lashon. He's very, very medaktek. He's not mevater from his portion, anything. Andrew, do you know guys like this? They know the entire manual uh, of the union, right? They know exactly how many sick days they get. They're going to take every single sick day. They know exactly how many vacations get. They know all of their benefits. They're going to max out to the, to the letter, to the last dot and tittle, or whatever the phrase is. They're not going to be mevater on anything that's coming to them. Oh. Salke, so Chista fired him. Kara Anafshe applied to this person the ver the pasuk v'tzafun l'tzadik chel choteh. Stored this this pasuk that we just said stored away for the righteous is the wealth of the sinner. Okay, what what is this? Stored away for the righteous is the wealth of the sinner. Mishle from Mishle. So again, um, a few different interpretations. I I see it like this. Like in any partnership, Barry, of any kind. Uh, there has to be somebody who, there has to be some level of vitor. You have to understand, it's not, lo magia klum, Barry. We don't, we're not owed anything, okay? So anybody who stands on ceremony on their own rights to this extent is being, I think, self-centered. I think that this is a sign of somebody who's self-absorbed. And therefore, in that scenario, it, it, you can afford sometimes for the sake of shalom, for the sake of being a better person, you could afford to be a nice guy. So we don't believe in nice guys finish last. This is a way of saying nice guys actually come out in the end on top. That's what it says. That eventually the nice guy will, re- if you're doing the right things, Andrew, for the right reasons, you will be the beneficiary in the end. Beautiful. Okay. Anyway, let's talk more about this is the Pasuk in Eov. Says the hypocrite, what does he think is going to happen when he steals? He says, Hashem's going to cast away his soul. In other words, what goes on in the mind of a robber? This is beautiful, like Garanowitz Musr moments as we finish Bavakama. Theft, the mindset of theft. The mindset is, oh, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get ahead of the guy. I'm going to get ahead of the game. I'm going to take not earn money. So, and Eov, we discuss it. What, do you th- what does he think? He's. Gosh, he's going to be cast away. So when interpreting this Pasuk, there's a machlokis. Whose soul is being taken away? It's a fascinating idea. Are you stealing the soul of the victim? Or maybe you're tarnishing your own soul, Andrew. Not you, but you know what I mean. A thief is tarnishing their soul. One, he who says he's talking about the victim, he's quoting a pasuk in the first parak of Mishlei. That's the way of somebody who steals. The mindset of a thief, he takes away the soul of the owner. That's what theft does, right? You're like, it's a violation. Uh, right? so, so he who says that it's his own soul that he's tarnishing, that's a pasuk in Mishlei. Later, don't rob a uh, Right, a, a poor person. 
and don't oppress poor people. Why? Because Hashem is going to fight their fight and rob the souls of those who rob them. So, it's, so right, if you have the mindset that you think you're going to get ahead by taking uh, money from disadvantaged people, um, I'm not proud of this, but I, off, I almost always engage people when they... Uh, did you ever get the text, Barry? You probably don't get this. Uh, hey, it's Jane. I saw you in Seattle. How you doing? And then you say, I don't know you from Seattle. She said, oh, this is so, I believe in serendipity. You know, we should be friends. Uh, why don't you subscribe to this thing? And, uh, you know, then they want to become friends with you. And I write to them, I, and I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just write to them. I said, I say, I think the biggest form of evil is to take advantage of the most vulnerable people. And I think, and, and I only hope that we meet someday so I could put you behind bars. Isn't that weird that I do that? There's something wrong with me. But it upsets me so much. What they write then? Then, then? then all of a sudden, so if they continue a conversation with me, I know that it's somebody from Bangladesh. <laughs> but if they're closer to America, they get the point. <laughs> but my point is it's upset me so much. What are they trying to do? They're trying to trap lonely, like dumb, vulnerable people. So what does that do? Eventually, that, that, do they have a soul, these people, right? That has to suck out your soul, anyway. And Hashem's going to, that's going to be a um, just desserts, anyway. It's relevant to this. That's exactly what this is. The Gemara asks, and there's also, and there's also another Pesach. So what's going to happen here now is many psukim to make that same point. Why does it say, sure, that these are the ways of somebody who steals? He takes away the soul of the owner. So, my Baalav, what does it mean, the owner? Baalav the Hashta. Right, so, no, so right now what the Gemara is doing is as follows. We have a source to say huh, that it's the soul of the victim, and we have a source to say it's the soul of the perpetrator. So, how, do you, how does each side understand the other Pasuk? So, you could say Baalav doesn't mean the owner, it means the current owner, meaning the robber. Right, so if you hold that it's the, it's the soul of the robber that's being, so just you take Baalav and you make the subject the robber, that's all. So how does the other uh, opinion see how does he understand that it robs the soul that robs them? How is it then the soul of the victim? So the Gemara, it means the reason. In other words, why is Hashem going to rob the souls of those who rob Hashem? The Kavei Nafesh, because they rob the soul of their victim, right? So you can interpret either the victim or the perpetrator into either Pasuk. Okay, so second to last line, thin line. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, So again, this idea that stealing from somebody is like taking their life. Even if, as long as you take a Shavar Pruta, it's like you're taking their soul. This is already, we quoted this. Anyone who steals, he takes the soul of the owner of Omer. And here's the part where Rabbi Yochanan has a multitude of psukim. He says also, the Pasuk in Yermiyahu, he's going to consume your harvest, your bread, they're going to consume your sons and your daughters, meaning it's going to consume them, right? When you steal from people, you're taking away their soul in a sense. It's Pasuk in Yoel. On account of what's Hamas, it's extortion of the children of Yudah who shed innocent blood in their, in their lands. The Omer, and another Pasuk from Shmuel Beis, El Shol, the Beis Adami, Mishael, Mises, Givonim. On account of Shol and the, the bloodhouse for having killed the Givonim, as we'll see, he didn't kill them, he stole their stuff, we'll see. And therefore, it's as if he killed them. That's the Gemara is going to explain this. My Omer. So, the first thing is, why are we having this multitude of Sukkim? Says the Gemara, Vachitei, Manefesh, Day. If it means that you only say that it's a soul, that they're, uh, of himself that the robber takes away, so that's a, right, Aval Benefesh, Bonov, Nosav, Lo. Because you might have thought like this. You say that it's only the soul of the victim that's taken away, but not their children, Tashma, Besar, Right? So that's why we learn the extra Pasuk that it's not only taking away necessarily the soul of the victim, but you're really taking away souls of generations to come. How terrible it is, Goranowitz, Musar, moment, right? Goranowitz, in the moment, the guy thinks he's getting ahead, right? He's beating the system. Guess what? You're not beating the system. You're just being self-absorbed and not realizing that this is not a victimless crime. This crime could have implications and ripple effects for generations. Furthermore, you might say that it's only a case where he takes someone's possessions and doesn't give them money in exchange. Right, so what if you took somebody, right? I like Andrew's Acura. Uh, I, 
uh, all of a sudden he wakes up in the morning to come to Daf and it's gone. But the money is on the kitchen table to pay him back. So you think, so I didn't steal it from him, I paid him for it. So the Gemara, Tashma, Mechamas Bnei Yudash, Shavchud Dam Naki Be'artzam. As Rashi says, right, that it's, Nechamas uh, is extortion. What do they do? It's extortion where you take forcibly what is not yours. And yeah, you, you might pay for it, but that's what Hamas is. And still, that is horrible behavior. Okay. What if you, it's only if you did it actively and proactively, directly, but not if you did it causatively. That even that's bad. What happened with the Givonim? An account of Shaul for killing the Givonim. Look at Nachiomi, right? Shaul didn't kill the Givonim. But he did kill the entire city of the Kohanim. What did they do? They were the ones that were supplying the Gibonim with water and food. So by doing the indirect effect of the water and food, that's this indirect right loss of income and resources that the Gibonim experienced. It's as if you killed them. And therefore, we do not compromise people's resources that way. And that is the reason why Yochanan quoted all these psukim. We see how important it is to stay away from anything that resembles, even in an indirect way, taking away other people's things. Amazing. Third wide line, two dots. Why can you, marry, why can you purchase married women? Um, yeah, Dr. Julie and Dr. Shurkin and Dr. Allen maybe don't um, pay such close attention to this one. Well, it's talking about a cultural time, and it has to do with the following. I'll just say it first outside. If the husband is allowing it, so sometimes women do sell things. In those days, only men did the real big-time commerce, but they let their wives sometimes sell tchotchkelach. So if it's something that they let their wives sell, so then you assume that it's okay to buy. But it's something that's obvious they took it from the house, and they're selling it, and they stole it, so to speak, from their husbands. So then you cannot buy it. That's what's going on. So let's see here. So again, if it's woolen garments in Yehuda, you could buy it. Or in the Galil. So Rashi explains that those things were common in those regions, that the women, they, they were plentiful and the women would sell it, right? But if you're talking wine, oil, flour, and those commodities were never sold by, and, and uh, dealt with by women. So if they're selling it for you, they're selling it from their husband's uh, bank account. You can't take that. And you can't, Buy anything from slaves or, ki- or children. That a woman can sell four or five dinar worth of things in order to make uh, a little shmata uh, for her head, which is to say, this is something the husbands allow, right? So they, they don't really get carried, the husbands don't get too makbid if their wives are making little uh, purchases. It's only when they see a giant purchase on the credit card that they lose their cool, right, Andrew? And all of them, not talking about you, obviously, but all of them, married women, who are allowed to buy, if they, as we said before, tell them on the way out, maybe put it in a paper bag or under your trench coat, of course, every case like that, you have to assume it's stolen, that you cannot do. Okay, furthermore, Okay, so you have a lot of charity collectors, so can you accept from them a small donation? Right? Somebody donates money to the shul, but he's the one that's collecting for the kupa sa'ir. So, is that money real money? So, if it's a small amount of money, you can assume it's their own money. I have a low dover maruba. But if a guy gets a lot of kovod, right? He's collecting for yeshivas. He travels, he, he has yeshivas at Eretz Yisrael. He travels every single month collecting $3 million. Then he comes and he gives you uh, a $3 million donation. Uh, I don't know that that mishulach is really, if that's all his money that he earned doing whatever else he does, right? and olive pressers, You could buy from them, right? This really from their wives, olives and oil in large amounts, right? So here it's counterintuitive. There you can only buy the large amounts and not the small amounts, because there it's the same thing. That again, it all has to do with what's being allowed. So if it's large amounts. In those cases, so the husband knows and he must let, because otherwise, what is she going to say back to her husband? That's going to be obvious. But if, if it looks like a little tchotchkele side hustle, so then she's probably doing it off the books. That you can't do. Okay, 
Adam Bosh Limkal Pesach Beso. So again, it's all circumstantial. Uh, if, if she's selling, uh, some olives in small amounts in the upper Galilee, that's an area where sometimes a person is embarrassed to sell it in front of his house because it makes it look like he's a small time olive salesman. And therefore, he's going to So therefore, he's going to encourage his wife to sell it on his behalf, and that's therefore allowed. And the Gemara points out, Ravina story, He went to the city of Mechoza. This is a very wealthy city. So there you have women, right? Uh, married women, and they have gold chains and bracelets. They're putting out all these kiosks, and they're selling these gold, uh, these little jewelry tchachkilach. So Kabil Minayu, and he bought it from them. So Amar Rabba Tosfad Ravina. So Rabbi Tosfa, that's his name, said to him, that you can only buy the small stuff, but this big stuff you can't take. So why are you buying jewelry? This jewelry is tchotchkilach. It's small change for the name of Chosa. They're so wealthy that this is small stuff for them. So again, Andrew, everything is relative. Do you want to learn the last Mishnah in Babakama? Okay. Andrew was very nervous because of the warp and the weft. I stayed up all night the learning the anatomy of old school clothing. We don't make clothing like this anymore. We're going to gloss over some of the details because I don't know if you'll understand it, Andrew. I'm not trying to be mean, but, uh, but, but here's, here's how it goes. Mochin Shakov is Matsin Harayel Shalom. Okay, this is a fascinating idea, the leftovers. So you give a craftsman or a launderer, uh, a certain amount of textiles, right? A certain amount of cloth. And it's just a question, or a carpenter has the shavings of the wood. The Goranowitz Muslim moment. We care about the shavings of the wood. Who owns the shavings? Who owns the little things of wool? Every little thing is accounted for. Not like because it's your right, but because we want everybody to be, we want to be incredibly fair and meticulous. It's a beautiful idea. So, shreds of wool, we're not skimming anything off the top. So shreds of wool that a launderer of wool removes during soaking process belong to him because that's assumed that the bal is, right, the owner is mochal. But if you have, sorek is when you comb it, like it's called a teasler, he, the, that uh, belongs to the owner, Rashi explains, because it's shed so much wool, most owners are assuming they're getting that back. So that's the whole thing, Andrew. You don't really have to understand the whole process. You, you just have to understand. If the Balabais assumes he's getting it back, then he get, then it's his. If he's mochal on it, then it's not. It's as simple as that, okay? So again, what's the parameters? A launderer can keep up to three strings. More than that, the owner is assuming that that belongs to, that he's going to get that back. What if it's black on white and you have a little black stuff on white and you assume that the black stuff is going to be taken off? So then the launderer can take off all the black off of the white because that's part of the process. And the again, the balabai is going to be mochal on that. Uh, furthermore, hachayat chait shashir sachut kedeles por bo. The tailor left over the thread. Umatlishi shalosh al shalosh, a piece of cloth, at least three by three, as we've seen in Masechus Shabbos. That's already a legitimate cloth that you could use for something. Are elu shel balabais. Those belongs to the balabais because again, it's legitimate. It's enough that the balabai would want it back. Now carpentry. Masha harsh motzi b'matzad. Matzad basically is a is a very fine instrument that's going to have small shavings. So the small shavings that a carpenter has when he's doing shavings for you, Andrew, for your furniture, he keeps those. However, with a kashil, hatchet and big pieces of wood, Andrew wants that back for his um, fireplace. And therefore that you have to return to Andrew. However, if he's working in Andrew's house doing work, uh, carpentry work, then so that Andrew is going to do something with that sawdust. He's going to use it for something else. And therefore in his own house, that's even going to belong to Andrew. Now going to the Gemara, the shreds of wool that the launderer gets to keep. Launderer takes off the upper two threads and they belong to him. As we turn to Amadbeis, but he can't sew more than three stitches of each loop to the garment's edge when he's stretching the garment. Andrew, I know these, I know these are intimidating diagrams, but look at the top one. Do you see how it's stretched? What are we talking about? How much can you stretch it? Well, you see the line? The idea is like this. The guy can keep everything. He can cut, right, the line. He stretches it and then cuts it, an even line, and everything that's on the outside of the line is what he can keep. 
and therefore there is a parameter of how tight he can do it. If he does like five threads worth and stretches it so much, he ends up keeping a lot more of the begin because he's stretching it more tight. And therefore, it's ad kedei kach, Andrew, that we tell you how many threads you're allowed to put in, which is to say how tight you're allowed to stretch it in order to right, modify how much of this thing you're allowed to keep. You see how we're being so incredibly honest that even in terms of how much we're stretching it, even when we know that you can keep all the stuff on the side, we're telling you how much you're allowed to stretch it, right? Everybody knows that's what's going on inside. You can't take advantage of other people, okay? So, so that's what it means. You can't have more, right? Because if you put in more strings, you're going to stretch it more and you're going to end up keeping more of it. And that's not allowed. And similarly, right? You can't tease the garment along the warp vertically. Only along the weft, Andrew. Because along the weft, you're getting less stuff. You can't take a ton of stuff. And you even it out, right, along the length. Not along the width. This is all because that's what your expectations are. You can't do it in such a way, you can't manipulate the circumstance in such a way that benefits you at the detriment of your client. That is ridiculous. But if you plan to even it out by cutting off up to a tefach, that's already not so bad. Okay. Now, there's a contradiction in this price and our mission because Amar Marsh, Nechutin van Antanan Shalosh. You may have noticed in our mission we say three. This price says two. So, Lokasha, Habe Alime, Babiktina. It's all going to be relative. If it's thick, so then you could do two, only two. If it's thin, then you could do three. Five lines down, two dots. Lo Yisra Kabegalishisio Batanya Ipcha. You may have noticed that when we're talking about the concept of warp and weft, right, we've first said you could do the warp and not the weft. Then we said you could do the weft, not the warp. So again, all circumstantial, low kasha, habaglima, habasarbala, right? When you prohibit the warp, that's when you're talking about a, a, a thinner one that can easily tear, right? When you're talking about the weft or the warp, then you're talking about a distinguished cloak, a sarbala, that is of finer quality, a rich appearance, it all is circumstantial with regards to the preparation of these cloths, right? Some is good for it, some is bad, some is expected, some of the cloth is thicker like the weft and can take it, some is thinner like the warp, and therefore that is accounting for the discrepancy between the different halachas because the bottom line is you can only do it for the benefit of the client, you're not supposed to cheat the system for your benefit, that is a degenerate, horrible thing to do. Okay, two dots. Can't sew more than three uh, stitches, as we said, because that stretches it. Right? Passing the needle and thread through and bringing it back. Is it considered like one or two? So the Gemara take, I don't know. Okay, ten lines down, two dots. What about evening it out according to the length, not the width? Again, we had another brysa that says the opposite. So the Gemara lo kasha. Again, it has to do with either a cloak where the length is visible when it's worn or, right, with uh, something else where, like a belt, a muni, where the length is not visible when worn but the width. So it's all circumstantial. And you have to understand how to make clothing, Andrew, in order to understand uh, each individual case. If you were in this industry, you would understand all of this. I wouldn't even have to explain to you. We don't have to buy shreds of wool from, we don't buy shreds of wool from this guy who's combing it, right? Because that doesn't belong to him. Again, the Balabais expects to have that amount of wool back. And again, but in areas where it's all circumstantial and it's all uh, according to the business practices of that place. So in some places, teaslers keep all the wool and therefore in that situation, they can keep it. And again, the question is, would Barry be allowed to buy wool from such a teasler? Yes, he would. Because in that place, it is rightfully theirs. And in all places, you're allowed to buy pillows filled with those wool or mattresses. Why? My time asked the Gemara. This is what Rashi explained earlier. Right? Because even if he stole said wool, it now, because he turned it into a pillow or a mattress, he, as a thief, was Konaed. So again, you're not a thief yourself if you buy from them. It may not be the best thing to encourage them, but... When you're buying it from them, you are actually buying it from them. And therefore, that sale is legitimate because they already acquired it by turning it into something else, by the shinoi of turning it in, into a mattress or a, uh, or, or a pillow. So let's pick up from this Tanar Banan after davening. And Bezat Shem will be zokha to do the last half of here.
Okay, so picking up 15 lines down on Kufya Tesem Beis. I want to make sure I'm in the right place. Yeah, so uh, while you were gone, we, uh, Barry and I were delving into the works of um, Diane Vukovitsky's masterful work, Maise Oreg, uh, written in not that long ago, 1982. Remember 1982, Barry? Um, and it discusses all of these things that do come up in a lot of Mishnahis and Gemaras uh, with the process of warp and weft, warp, warp and weft, which is Andrew's favorite thing, uh, but also discusses a lot of the other um, issues over here, and that's where we pick up. From the weaver, you don't take low earring, not the woolen stoppers, or below nearing, or the heddles, below funkalin, not the funkalin, which are technically the tapestry bobbins. Now, you look at the uh, uh, art scroll 119b2, you see uh, what the sh- you have the, the anatomy of this thing, this bobbin, right? You have the shuttle, and you have the what's called the ira, and the rod, and the eye. So for our purposes, what do we need to understand? We need to understand that when Barry is supplying his weaver with wool, he's not only supplying his weaver with wool. He's also supplying his weaver with this woolen bobbin. That's the point. So all of these things that we see that we don't necessarily understand until we read the entire Misa Oreg from cover to cover is uh, the point is that this is something that Barry is supplying with the wool, you see? So when Barry supplies that with the wool, that means that if a weaver is selling it to you, it is almost certain that he didn't have to buy it, right? Why would he buy it? It's customarily something that a person that's giving him wool would be giving him with the wool in order to weave for him. And thus, when it's being sold to you, it's almost definitely a situation where the weaver is selling you something that he stole, essentially, from the person who gave him the wool. That's the scenario. So for our purposes, that's why it's here, right? To understand what these things are is a whole other avoida. But anyway, that's why you don't buy it from the weaver. That's the point. Below Shira Pekios, not the leftover spools of thread either, right? Because the leftover spools of thread are not necessarily the weavers to keep, unless they are, right? It all depends on the Minangamakum, right? Be that as may, have a local man begging, you could buy from them a speckled garment or weft or warp thread, apparently that is theirs, and you could also buy spun or woven threads and cloth that are made from wood, wool and stoppers. And again, the, the, there would be two reasons why you'd be able to buy these things, right? Uh, the, the, the stoppers themselves you wouldn't buy because that probably was a stolen item. But items made from that is another example, as Rashi points out, of items that underwent a physical change. And the ironic thing that we keep uh, now emphasizing is that when, you, at, when the weaver actually creates a physical change in the said object, so now he's acquired it. And now when you buy it, again, you might be encouraging him, but that's not the issue. The issue is that you're not at least stealing it because you're buying it from the person who has it, albeit by theft. Right, by Kinyana Gazela, the weaver acquired it, but now at least it's his to sell. So you're not really buying it from, so again, Barry gives it to the weaver, right? If I were, if it was still Barry's and I purchased it, I'd be essentially stealing it from Barry. But if the weaver made a shinui in it and now it's the weaver's, even though the weaver stole it from Barry, by the time the weaver stole it from Barry, it belongs technically, halachically to the weaver. And therefore, if I buy it from the weaver, I'm not stealing it from Barry because it's not linked back to Barry anymore by virtue of the shinoi. That's, that's again, uh, a repetition of that concept. So Amri, Hashtatavushakli. Some say regarding to this, the wooden, wooden stoppers, now that we're allowed to buy spun threads, we buy do we need to have to say that we have to buy wooden clo- woven cloth? In other words, the thread himself is a shinoi, but it's a, step re- it's a step prior to making a full cloth. Full cloth is certainly a shinoi. Says the Gemara, my arig, it doesn't really mean fully clo- a full cloth that's made, but rather it means a teke, right? Unspun wool. So chains woven from unspun wool, the chidosh is that that's also considered a shino, that's all. Okay, so now in the middle of the page, now we have a person dying, uh, a dyer, a dyer of things, a colorer, dye. 
Okay, so you don't buy the wool that was used for testing. Or color samples. Or torn off shreds of wool. But again, you could buy from them whole dyed garments. Again, it's, a, it's an idea that uh, presumably these are things, right, that the person who is making these colorations were not his. So until he makes a shinoi, you can't buy it. Once he makes a shinoi, you can. Ask the Gemara, a similar question asked before. Harsha Tovay Shakel Bagadim Baye. We say that he could buy the spun threads. Do we have to say he buys the cloths? The cloths are obvious. Says the Gemara, my Bagadim Namte, that the garments, again, garments made from unspun fibers, very similar back and forth to what we said before. And again, it's the same concept again and again over here. It's all really stuff that didn't belong to this colorer of, of cloths. But once he colored a cloth and made a cloth, then it is a shinoi and therefore you could buy from them. Okay. Now, same concept, but now not uh, colors of cloth and not weavers, but tanners. Tanner banner. The person's giving skins to a tanner. So what's the protocol? So the trimmings of the hides that actually be- and the torn off wool that actually belongs to the person who brings in the hides. But wool that comes out of a water rinse belongs to the tanner. So you have this little right, minuscule amount of wool that's kind of like floating up there from the washing process that already the tanner gets to keep. And so that's the protocol. Fine. Now two dots. We said in the Mishnah that a launderer could take black off of white. The launderer is just like a figure of speech. Some people call him a katsara. Katsara from the Latin shortening, because he shortens, and he takes for himself. Right? So it's a play on words. That means that he could take those things for himself, because he's a shortener, and those things that fall, he could take for himself. Okay? Now, a fascinating idea, an application of this halacha to tzitzis. I'm reviewed, I call all in the minion tcheles. Amazing. Uh, it's called tcheles, but it really means tzitzis, right? Uh, I happen to be zochar of tcheles in my tzitzis, but uh, if you have tzitzis, in order to be chayev, the bega needs to be of a certain shear, right? Of a certain prerequisite size. The question is, these threads that a launderer will generally remove, are they indeed considered in the counting, right? So if you have, and you're evaluating the square area of a beged to see whether it is chayev and tzitzis, do you consider these loose threads at all in the, in the surface area in order to, to create that counting? The answer is yes, you do. However, his son, Yitzchak, said Rabbi Huda of his son, that he was very makbed on this. He was very particular. He made sure to remove the threads first in order to reduce any possibility of question as to whether it would be chayv and tzitzis. So when he wore a beged, he removed the threads first. If it was the requisite size for tzitzis, then certainly he would put on tzitzis. But he didn't fall into this gray air in no man's land with threads hanging out, completing the shear of what would require tzitzis. Okay? Fine. So now the chait, chayat, shashier, tachut. What if a tailor leaves over enough thread to sew with? How much is enough thread to sew with? Amount of thread equals to needle length and beyond the needle length. But chutz lamachat is very ambiguous. How much beyond the needle length? So the Gemara asks, Is it another full needle length? Or maybe just anything above one needle's length right, is what he can keep. So the Gemara says, Tashma, the Tanya, look at the Brisa carefully. Taylor left over length of thread less than the amount necessary to sew with. Or a piece of cloth less than three finger, right? Three at boss by three at boss, which we know is the smallest minimum shear for a beged. Then Bizman Shabalabait Makbidalayan, Arayelushalbalabait. So, again, as with most of these things, it has to do. If the Balabait is expects it back, it's his. If the Baal is Mevater, it's not his, right? So we know this to be the case. But the Gemara wants to say that is going to resolve our issue because if we're talking about enough thread to sew with a needle length and another needle length beyond, so that makes sense because because less than that, it's still fit for stitching, right? Um, which is to say, stitching a loop on the edge of the garment, 
and placing it on the frame. But if you mean that if what it meant was more than the machat, like uh, the smallest amount, and wait a minute, what is less than this fit for? It's no owner would be machbin on that. Why would anybody want to keep that? So it's obvious, therefore, when it says that you could keep mlo machat and another, and beyond that, it means another full mlo machat, and that's what Gemara concludes. Which means enough thread to sew with, needle's length, and another full needle's length. Beyond that is what can be kept, which the Gemara concludes, Shmamina. That is indeed what Rav Asi meant, right? So that is, um, that is what belongs to the owner. All of that belongs to the owner because otherwise why would he be Machbin, you understand? In other words, he's giving, uh, thread and a needle thread to, again, just to summarize this last point. You're giving thread to a tailor, right? Barry's giving thread to a tailor. So how much does the tailor get to keep? Not a lot, right? If there's little loose edges, the tailor gets to keep that because that Barry's not mocked on. But if it's a lot of thread, then that belongs to Barry. So what's a lot of thread? A little extra, a lot extra? So the answer is, if it's just a mashu, then why would Barry, buy, why in the world would Barry want to keep it? What is he going to do with a half a millimeter of thread? <laughs> Right, LMI, it has to be. There's a substantial amount of thread, then you give it to Barry. But once again, even until the thread, even down to the thread of a tailor that, that, that he gets, he has to be mockbid in our, at least, mentality, right? We are conscious of who this belongs to. We don't assume that we're taking other people's stuff, even down to the very last thread. Beautiful. Okay, seven lines up from the bottom of Kufya Testament Bays. Let's do carpentry and finish this off. We learned the following brisa. This is, seems to connect our mission. What did our mission say? Our mission says if it's very uh, if it's very small shavings, then it's presumed that the carpenter could keep that. But if it's like chopped blocks, then the owner is going to want to keep that. So, however, we have a brisa. Whatever shavings the carpenter removes, either with I don't know how to pronounce this thing. Adzi adds. The thing that's very, very fine, right? Which our mission said he could keep, right? Here it's saying if it's, regardless of whether it's fine or whether it's severed off with a straw, uh, saw rather, right? So that's the, that's the steer. The, contra- the contradiction is that our mission said that if it's very fine, then the carpenter gets to keep it, right? So what's going on here? Here it's saying that the carpenter doesn't keep anything. Everything belongs to the balabais. That with the ads, that's with the saw, but what what do you what does the actual carpenter get to keep? Just the little dusting that falls out from under his drill, or mitachas or hitni, or from the shavings under a plane, which is like almost like your um, sandpaper, right? But nigger and gura sawdust sun away with the saw harayulushalo. So that belongs to the carpenter. So again, our mission the, the really the issue is the shavings. Our mission says the shavings belongs to the carpenter. This price seems to say that the shavings are a little bit. More zaftig, a little more substantial, and thus should belong to the owner. So, Amar Rava, how is he going to resolve it? Thank you, Rava. Very, uh, we loved Rava. Ultra Rava comment was amazing. Here he comes. In the place, and again, as we've said, this is cultural, circumstantial, the business practices of each individual place. If in the time of our Mishnah, there were two kinds of chopping tools. The Rabazi called it Kakashil, Zutra called Matzad, that the Kashil was called an axe, the bigger one. And that certainly would belong to the balabite, but the, the tiny one was called a matzad, what we call an adz. And that was smaller over there in the place of our mission. And therefore, those shavings were tiny, tiny. Nobody would have, be mocking on those. But in the place where the Bryce was written, it was all one thing, the Karli matzad. So they call everything a matzad. So the matzad, did not only refer to the tiny one, but even to the big one. And therefore, when they say matzah, they're referring to bigger chunks. But it's all logical, right? The big, big chunks you want to keep as the owner of the wood for firewood and to take back home. And tiny little shavings and dustings, of course, you let the carpenter keep. So four lines up. The last part of the Mishnah. What was he doing? The last idea is if you're working, all the stuff is happening where the carpenter is in-house. Barry's doing work, carpentry work in the house. So then Barry keeps all the shavings and the dustings, says the Gemara. People chisel stones, they're not subject to gezel. What does that mean? I mean, what do you mean, chisel stones? 
So it means that nobody wants those, right? You square the stones to make them smooth. That you could keep. Nobody's going to say that that's, that's theft, right? Because nobody wants the chiseled off pieces of stone, okay? Similarly, mefaske ilonos. If you're pruning trees, mefaske gifanim, you're pruning grapevines, menak hegi, or pruning thorn brushes, right? All of these gardeners, menak rhyme weed, unwanted vegetation. So yeah, you can keep the weeds, you can keep the, all that soilus that you see gardeners like shoving off onto the sidewalk and getting rid of, nobody wants that, right? Who would take that? Except for when you do, right? Barry wants it for his landscaping. He takes one and he reappropriates it in another part of his garden. He wants to use that stuff. It's beautiful. He wants to make um, centerpieces with it. So that would be gezel if you know he's makbid. But if the balabais would pay you to take it off his property, then of course you could keep it. It's as simple as that. Finally, Amar Behuda, Kshus Vechazes Ein Behemeshum Gazel. Hops and green grain, right? Uh, hops for beer, green grain is like the immature grain when it's not yet in the like browning stage that we see, but it's still just like looks like a plant. So there, can you steal that? Well, where your people are uh, particular to keep it, right? So obviously that's, thief, that's theft. You can't keep that. To which Amar Ravina, you know what's a place where they're makbid on, on it and they want to keep those things? Masa There it's part of the experience to have those greens in the hops. To which Rashi says, the last Rashi in Masechus Bavakama, the reason why they want to keep the hops and the greens is because they had many behemoths there. But Tzrichin Lemare Tov. And the grazing has to be good. The commentators over here say, Rashi, even though he knows that Babakam Babamatsiya and Babasra are really all one Masechta, in the essence, it's broken down, and he wanted the last word, if anybody asks you at the Seam tonight, what's the last word in Rashi and all of Babakama? Last word is Tov. It is always good to finish on a good note, and so I'd like to think that we're finishing Babakama on a good note. May we continue to learn on a good note. It's been as close to learn Masechta Babakama. Maybe we do it, Hadranalach, like we say, literally, do it again and again. But moving on, Bezat Hashem with Baba Metziah tomorrow.